Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. First off, happy Memorial Day to everyone. Hopefully everyone's getting nice weather out able to celebrate with family and friends because I know it's been a while since we've all been able to gather because of all this COVID stuff. Fortunately, we've got a lot of rain here and uh, it's not really really good cookout weather, but we did have some company over yesterday, which is nice, which is why the podcast will be late today. So I apologize for that, but I actually, you know, socialized a bit, which is probably good for me. We had a good time and uh, now it's back to work. So uh, first off, I just want to apologize for the fact that uh, I may sound a little stuffy or nasally today. That's because my allergies have been through the roof. I've long been an allergy sufferer and it has been a particularly bad allergy season. It's been very dry. Everything's coated with a thick coat of yellow pollen. It's just been a bit of a nightmare. The good thing is we've had rain for the last three days, so hopefully that'll knock it down a bit. But I woke up this morning completely stuffed up. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of pauses in here where I pause the podcast so I can blow my nose or sniff so I'm not sniffing through the entire thing. So this episode, we're going to go back into a topic that I've covered before, but it's always it's one of those ones I always like to revisit because I'm constantly changing and evolving the way I work with it and what I do with it. And it's one of the ones I get asked more questions about than probably any. It's right up there, I'd say top three questions I get asked. So if you haven't guessed, we are going to be talking about dirt. Well, more specifically, substrate, what we put our tarantulas on. And again, I know it's something we've talked about before, but I constantly evolving what I use. Now, just to, to quickly sum up where I'm at now, for the majority of my adult cages, I've been using the BioDude Terra Aranya. And I really like it, and it's, I will say what I like about it, it's basically the same thing I would mix up myself, which I know many people will be going, well, why don't you just do it yourself and make it cheaper? I totally get it, and I do mix up my own that I use for some things as well. But I've just, for me, it's a lot easier sometimes to just pop open a bag of BioDude, pour it in there. I like the consistency. I like his ingredients. It's just, I trust it. It's easier, and again, I'm at a point right now where I can't really, I'm not buying a bunch more tarantulas, and I think sometimes where you are the hobby really dictates how much money you're willing to spend on things like enclosures or substrate. Like early on the hobby, if you had told me, you know, here, spend $30 and get, you know, a few bags of substrate, I would have been, you're absolutely nuts. I can go out to my local hardware store and pick up some topsoil and be fine. And I, and I totally get that even now. I understand that line of thinking. But now that I've been in it for a while and I've been setting up, you know, I've been putting some plants in them. I've been doing things that look a little more, I, I don't know, authentic, a little more naturalistic, not going over the top with them, but I do like the look of the substrate. It looks more naturalistic. Now that I've gotten into that stuff, it's worth it for me. So I completely, 100%, don't feel like you have to go on and go into a huge diatribe against the BioDude stuff because I, I get it, but it's just, that's what I choose to spend my money on because it always drives me nuts sometimes when you talk about either enclosures or substrate and you're talking about, you know... I want a fancy enclosure. That's my business. If somebody else doesn't want a fancy enclosure, I totally get it. So let's get that part of it out of the way. Let's. This discussion is going to be more about just my own observations with using these, what I found that works, what I found that doesn't. With the BioDude, I will say one thing that I like about it is the fact that once you moisten it down, like if you prepare it correctly, if you put it in a tub, moisten it down, get the stuff really moist, pack it in there, it holds on to moisture indefinitely. Like if you're, it was de designed to work really well with burrowing tarantulas and species. So it holds a burrow really well and it holds moisture really well, which is fantastic when you're trying to keep moisture dependent species. If there is a downfall with it, I have found the ones that hold moisture very well also are more difficult to hydrate. And what that means is eventually you're going to have to pour more water in there. 
with the ones that really hold on to the moisture well, once they dry out, they tend to shrink and close up. They become less, it almost seems less porous if you're looking at it as one big solid mass. And when you pour the water in, you tend to get a lot of mudding. It muds up on the top. So that's the only downfall I've seen with it is I have a couple enclosures that I let dry out probably a little bit too far. You know, there's still some moisture on the bottom, but the top had dried out quite a bit. And then trying to get it to moisten back up again evenly has been a little tricky. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Just make sure you maintain it. And just to be clear, this isn't a plug. This isn't something I'm being sponsored by. I tell people what I use, and this is currently what I'm using. If you see most of my newest videos, they will mention if I'm using the BioDude stuff or if I'm using my own mix. So I do want to make sure I get that out there so everybody knows where I'm at. But I also have my own mix, which we'll get into a little bit at the end of the podcast. I'll talk about what I do when I mix my own stuff, which is very similar. One of the reasons I use the BioDude is I think it's probably very similar. So anyway, to kick it, let's, let's just start off by addressing the different, the three main types of substrates that you can use by themselves. The ones that have been in the hobby for a while that have been pretty much accepted by hobbyists as being good substrates. And then we'll break down the pros, the cons of them, and then get into mixing a bit, which I think that's where the fun starts. That's where a lot of us, you know, it's this weird little thing where you start mixing your own substrate and somehow you feel like you just got your like, I just got my tarantula keeping black belt. Like I've moved up now. I'm mixing my own stuff. It's kind of, it's a fun thing for a lot of us and a fun aspect of the hobby to kind of play with your own ingredients. So we'll get into that at the end. But to start it off, let's go to the one that most people start off with. I don't know why. I'm assuming because it's so readily available. But that's cocoa fiber. Now, I just had somebody not that long ago contact me asking why I promote cocoa fiber because it's a terrible substrate and nobody should use it. But they didn't really give me any real reason to it. I think the big thing was that it doesn't hold burrows. So let's get the myth out of the way right off the bat. You can use cocoa fiber with burrowing species. They will build burrows in it. And guess what? It's light and fluffy, which people are like, oh, it's going to collapse. They reinforce it with their webbing. So they hold that those fluffy clumps together with webbing. And I've never, I've used it many years ago for a lot of burrowing species, never had any real issues with it. And say it were to collapse, it's so soft that it's not going to hurt the spider any. The spider is just going to go and redig its burrow. But I've never actually had any issues with that. Now, I'm sure somebody will come on and go, oh, I had one, it was trying to dig in it and it wasn't working, whatever. But I, it drives me nuts when people work, you know, pull misinformation out to try to deter people from using something. And it's not not true at all that they can't hold a burrow. Is it the best thing in the world for burrowing? Heck no. And I think that's where we got to look a little more closely at it. Will it hold the burrow? Yes. With webbing, it'll hold the burrow. Is it ideal for them? Probably not. There's no probably not. And it's not an ideal burrowing substrate. When you want a tarantula, you know, see a tarantula with a nice, thick, beefy, you know, well-done burrow, it's usually a thicker less fluffy substrate. So, and that's why a lot of us did eventually move away from cocoa fiber. I know my first move wasn't just because of the burrowing, it was because of the moisture dependency. And that's one thing you always have to consider when you're choosing the substrates you're going to use. Uh, The two big things, especially with moisture dependent species, is how well it holds the moisture and how well it rehydrates. Those are two things we're going to be looking at as we go through these substrates. And that's something we have quite a bit of experience on. I talked about, you know, years ago, my son Ron and I did a little experiment with the different types of substrates and different mixtures. We mixed them up, we weighed them, we added the same amount of water to each cup, and then we kind of watched which ones, you know, allowed the water to evaporate fastest. And it kind of gave us a neat idea of, you know, some of the properties of these substrates. But cocoa fiber, a lot of people use it. I actually still use cocoa fiber, almost straight up cocoa fiber now with my slings. And I will tell you why. 
it's very easy to rehydrate. It doesn't necessarily hold on to the moisture well. We've covered that. But conversely, it does rehydrate very easily. If you have a little vial with a bunch of cocoa fiber in it and you take a little eyedropper or pipette or syringe, whatever you're using to hydrate, and you squirt that water in there, that cocoa fiber is going to suck it right up like a sponge. So the good thing is if you're trying to keep them hydrated, it's easier to hydrate. Wherein I've used topsoil before. I've used peat before. I've even used some BioDude before. The BioDude's a little trickier because it's got chunks of stuff in it, so it's just not trying to cram it into those little vials doesn't really work for me. The topsoil, once if it starts off wet, it's good, but once it dries out, it's very difficult to rehydrate. With the peat, I found kind of the same thing. It'd be a little trickier. It gets very dusty. It dries up. It doesn't absorb the water as well. Cocoa fiber with slings, I've found, I'm sure... People have other things. This is just what I do, that it works very well for my slings. I've used it for adults before. Now, the pros of cocoa fiber, very easy to come by. And I will warn people a little tip. Don't just go and buy the Zoomed or whatever Petco brand or whatever, you know, the bags of it that are pre-moistened. It's a waste of money. The best way to get it is in the big bricks, not even the little bricks. You can buy the big, like I think they're like 10-pound bricks. You can get them off Amazon. You can get them in gardening stores. You can get them additive-free. Just make sure it's additive-free. Make sure there's no salt or anything in it. But they are, you take one of these, you throw it in a big, I have these big bins I get from Walmart. I use a little sprinkler thing on my hose and I moisten it down. It expands and you get a ton of of cocoa fiber, which is fantastic. So it's it can be relatively cheap. Back in the day, I moved away from it because I didn't realize you could buy that stuff and it was becoming very expensive to do, you know, basically set up. I was getting a lot of phosphorils and I was using a lot of cocoa fiber to set them up. And once I found out you get it in the bricks, that was kind of a game changer because I can get a couple bricks and it lasts me forever, especially if you're mixing your own stuff and mixing it with other ingredients. So don't go out and buy the Zoomed stuff. I know it's easy and convenient. I guess I shouldn't say go If you only have a couple spiders and you don't need a big brick, then yeah, by all means, it's probably easier to just have a bag of it on hand. However, for anybody that's starting to get a big collection and looking for something they're going to use a substrate for a lot of different, you know, adult setups, then I would go for the bricks. So easy to come by, relatively cheap if you buy it from bricks, very absorbent. I do like that aspect of it. It's It makes it very easy to rehydrate substrate. And I, again, used it for a long time without issues. And it's lightweight, which can be very good when you're setting up. Now, I don't know if for the folks out there how you guys do your feedings and your maintenance and whatnot. But what I generally do is I have, well, back in the day, we would take the cages out, we'd bring them into my dining room, we'd put them on the dining room table, I'd do all the feedings out there. So everything got moved. And here I have a little cart that I wheel around, a little food service cart that I take the things down and I move them. With cocoa fiber, they weigh a lot less. So if you're moving big enclosures full of dirt, the cocoa fiber weighs a fraction of what it would with peat pack down topsoil or something else. So just that it can be a convenience thing for some people. Just know I don't have to, you know, instead of lifting a 30 pound enclosure off the shelf to move it, maybe I'm lifting a 10 pound enclosure. I don't know what the difference would be in weight, but I I'd definitely say it's considerable. So those are some pluses, some pros. As far as cons, can they burrow in it? Yes. Is it the best for burrowing? No. One of the problems with it is when it dries out, it gets very, very fluffy and it tends to condense a great deal and it tends to settle a great deal. So I've literally had enclosures that I packed in a bunch of cocoa fiber and within a few months after it dried up, it settles several inches. So suddenly the enclosure you set up for your P. muticus that had six inches of substrate in it now has about three and a half, four, maybe, you know, 
in that ballpark, it does settle a great deal. Can they burrow as we've already covered? Yes, they can. They'll web it up, but it's not the best thing for burrowing. And I would say not the best thing for burrowing fossorial species that require moisture because the other thing is it dries out very quickly. Now, that's not such a big deal with ones that aren't so moisture dependent or ones if you have a very aggressive feeding schedule or maintenance schedule where you're checking at least once a week or so, probably not a big deal. You just add more water, you go. But I have, you know, back in the day when it was in the older tarantula room, it would heat up in there. My house, when the heat would kick on, would dry out a lot. And those cocoa fiber enclosures would dry out very, very quickly. I remember I had a bunch of pieces of Lotharia on the top shelf where it got the warmest in the room and they had about three inches of cocoa fiber in it, and I would soak that cocoa fiber down within a few days it was dried completely up. So with the good being the fact that it absorbs water quickly, it also lets go of the water quickly, which could be an issue. And then of course, cocoa fiber, anybody that's kept used cocoa fiber before knows you get fungus. That fungus seems to just come with the territory. Now I've been told it's harmless. I've never had any issues with any of my spiders dying or having any health concerns with that fungus. And it's the one that looks like the little, little fuzzy yellow balls. And all of a sudden it sprouts up one of these mutant mushrooms that kind of they look like they're made out of foam and they literally like you'll go to bed and there's a little nubbin and you come out in the morning and the thing's like five inches tall it's creepy they're like alien kind of cool in a way I'd love to get time lapse of them because I got a funny feeling it would be impressive to see one of those pop up not not harmful for the spider, but nobody wants to see that stuff in there. It has that sweet smell to it. The majority of us hate it, and it does kind of seem to come with the cocoa fiber. I've had more issues with those in cocoa fiber than I think anything else I've ever used. So those would be the cons of it. Can it be used for spiders? Well, yes, it can. So let's get that. You know, again, I, I don't, I wish I wrote down the person who said there, at least the exact comment, but it was very like I was leading people astray by even mentioning cocoa fiber. Because if you watch my videos, I tell what I've got mine on. I will say if it's my own mixture, I will say if it's BioDude, but then I will say cocoa fiber, peat, or topsoil will all work just as well. And that's the honest God truth. So I'm not sure why they were had such a bee in the bonnet over it, but it was you know obvious that I offended them by even mentioning it. But I honestly don't think it's that bad of a substrate. Do most of us gravitate away from it? Yes. Do some still use it? Absolutely. Is there anything wrong with that? No, not at all. Again, a lot of the hobby is choosing what works best for you. If you aren't keeping, you know, again, if you're using dry species or keeping, you know, arid species, none of this is going to be an issue at all. Just pack it down really well. The only other issue and the only other inconvenience with it can be if you do buy the bricks and you are using it for arid species, it can be a pain in the butt to dry out. One way to do it is to buy one of those big foil turkey pans that you get. You can get them at Walmart or probably any store. I'm not sure about overseas, but I'm sure you guys have something similar. A big tray that you can put substrate in and then you cook it on low heat you open the oven a little bit let it air out you know air out cook it on low heat in the oven for a little while and it'll help dry it out it does take a little while but if you're in a pinch and you need some dry substrate you know within half an hour an hour or so you can have some dry substrate on hand or you what I've done before is I've rehydrated it and on a nice hot dry sunny day I've spread it out in the yard so that I can get some sun on it you know just make sure you're not getting pests and stuff in it you don't want to put it right on the ground because you don't want ants or anything getting into it but I kind of propped it up on like the hoods of cars and stuff and that helped dry it out too. So that would be another inconvenience. I know I've had people be like, oh man, I got it. It's all wet and I need dry stuff and it, I get it, but it's not that difficult to go ahead and dry it out. So 
First one, cocoa fiber. Definitely, I still have, I've always got cocoa fiber on hand. Again, I do like it for the slings. And feel free, anybody that wants to chime in, I'm going to go through the stuff I've used personally and the mixtures I've used. Anybody else wants to chime in with something else that they use, that that would be great. I'd love to hear it. If you know you use cocoa fiber, let us know. I, it's nice to know who out there is still using this stuff. And, and feel free to explain why you continue to use it because I think it's important for people to not just hear it from me, but to hear it from other keepers as well. So the second one on the list has been popular for a long time. I think it was pro- it's probably more popular in Europe than it was originally over here, but it's become, you know, I started using it years ago. I always have bags of it. However, we're going to get it right up, you know, get this right out of the way because of environmental concerns. It's it's waning in popularity. I think a lot of people are steering away from it, and that is peat. Peat is a lovely substrate for tarantulas, and one as far as being cheap and easy to come by, it's, you know, you go to garden stores, you can get it in these big giant bales that are, you know, it's like 30 bucks for, I don't know how many cubic feet, but a lot, it, it's a lot of dirt. And it has some great properties as far as holding on to moisture. If you soak down peat and really let it soak down and fill a, you know an enclosure with it and pack it down really well, that stuff is not letting go of that moisture for quite some time. So pros for peat. Very easy to come by, relatively cheap, especially if you buy it in the, you know, the big bales is what we get in over in the United States. I'm not sure how it comes over in the UK, but it's, or in Europe, very inexpensive overall and holds water very, very well. And that's something that when we did one of our experiments, I was shocked with the peat. It took a little while to get it to absorb the water. That's one of the, you know, when we go over to cons in a moment, one of the cons with it. But once it holds onto the water, if you pack, if you're packing down seven inches of that stuff, you're going to have moist substrate for probably a year or maybe even more before it completely dries out, which is really cool. Now, cons. First one, very destructive to the environment. That's something that I wasn't as aware of when I when I first I wasn't aware of it at all. It was like bags of dirt. I didn't even think about it. I should have because common sense would have told me it could be an issue. But that's become an issue. A lot of people that use peat for gardening are swearing it off now because of the fact that it can be damaging to the environment and. A lot of people that are in the hobby now are swearing it off. So it's been used for years. A lot of people like it, but it does if you're environmentally conscious. And we are keeping animals that, you know, we complain all the time that their environment is being destroyed, their natural habitat is being destroyed. Then we probably don't want to be part of the problem of another animal's habitat being destroyed. The peatlands do get ravaged by when they harvest these. It's just a bad situation overall. So a lot of places are moving away from it. A lot of people are moving away from it. So that needs to be put right out there in the forefront because that's the biggest reason now people, when you hear people saying, I won't touch peat, I won't use peat anymore, it's because of that. And it's good. That's being environmentally responsible. And again, being people that keep animals that are losing their natural habitats, that's something that would kind of make us hypocritical if we're like, all right, well, I feel terrible these spiders are losing their natural habitats, but I'm going to go and support the peat industry where other animals are having their habitats destroyed. So something that needs to be said. The other issues with them, it can be very dusty. Now, I guess it sounds like in the UK, and this is something I picked up just from comments and stuff, it sounds like in the UK or Europe, uh, overseas, you guys, when you get it, it's not always dry a lot of times you get it and there's some moisture in it over here in the u.s when we get i don't know if we get it from different places or if they purposely dried out what happens the stuff we get it's bailed and it's very very dry incredibly dusty it's one of those ones and not to be gross but you work with it and later on you go to blow your nose and unholy stuff comes out of your nostrils because it's just it's in the air i've always found the stuff here to be very dusty but i need to put in that disclaimer that apparently that's only in the u.s and maybe even canada 
Overseas, it's different. So in the U.S., it's very dusty. Over there, it may not be. So uh, that may be a con over here and not for folks over there. But it is something I need to mention because it, it can be an absolute disaster to work with because it is so dusty. I'm talking about you working it. It's in your clothes. It's all the way up your arms. It's in your hair. It's in your face. Very, very dusty. It also, because it holds on, and we talk about the ones that hold on to the moisture the best, generally are the most difficult to rehydrate. I've had a terrible time rehydrating this stuff. If you take it and soak it down and allow it to really soak up all that moisture, it's great. And that's easy to do when you're first using with it. When you put it in the tub, you sit there, you get a hose, you hose it down. Eventually, it'll absorb that water and it'll sink in. However, if I fill a whole enclosure with it and it dries up on the top and I try to pour water in, what I get is a nasty, dusty, mud. The water sits right on top. It gets a little bit muddy. It doesn't really sink in. And usually it evaporates before it gets down real deep. I do try to obviously, when I add moisture to enclosures, try to shoot it down the side so it sinks down in the bottom. But even then, it's been tricky to rehydrate the stuff. Now, somebody told me a trick they had where they take the... If I remember correctly, they have the container that it's in. They drill a bunch of holes in the around the bottom. And they take that container and they put it into a container of water so that the water soaks through, goes in all those holes, soaks those bottom levels real well, and then they take it out, dry it off, and it's perfectly fine. And I guess, I believe the guy I talked to leaves the holes in there. He's like, well, at least you have air holes under the ground. I would assume eventually dirt would come out of there, but I guess if you put it in the, if you put it in the larger container, like some type of tray, I guess it wouldn't be a big deal, but that's a couple people have told me they use that way when they use peat of rehydrating the bottom levels. In other words, they don't try to pour water in from the top. They have a ring of holes around the very bottom of the container. They set it in a pool of water or a basin of water, allow it to suck up that moisture in those bottom levels and then take it out. And I guess it holds the moisture really well. So if you're one of the ones that do that, please feel free to let us know how you go about that. It sounds like an interesting way of doing it. My only concern again would be once it dries out, the dirt would just be falling right out of those holes. But definitely I'm always into hearing new techniques and whatever. So feel free to let us know or even demonstrate how you do it. I'd love to hear about it. So as far as Pete, if it weren't for the environmental issue, it's an awesome substrate. I think personally, and we'll get to this when we get to the mixtures, I like it more when added to something. I don't like using straight peat. I've used like mixtures of peat and sand for scorpions and other dry things, which isn't too bad, but not my preferred go-to just using it by itself. But I love using it as a mixture. Unfortunately, this will probably, I've got a big bag that I bought a couple of years ago that I haven't used completely up that once I use that, I don't think I'll be buying it again because of the environmental issues, but it does have some really good properties to it, especially as a mixture. Now for the third most widely used substrate for tarantulas. I mean, I'm sure everybody knows what's coming. This is a big surprise, but topsoil has been very popular for a long time. The pros of topsoil are it's very easily procured. You, you sell it here. We get it. You know, you have Home Depot. We have Lowe's. Both of them generally carry several brands. Uh, Walmart here in the States also carries bags of topsoil. However, what I've noticed with Walmart is the majority of them seem to have additives, fertilizers, and you want to shy away from that. We'll get into that in a moment as we talk a little bit more about it. But very inexpensive. I can usually buy a big bag of it for $2, which is easily enough to do a fossorial enclosure, several other enclosures. So if you buy, you know, 10 bags, you're talking less than 20 bucks, which is fantastic. It's very easy to come by. It looks great. I still get compliments on old videos where the spiders are on just straight topsoil and people are like, man, what is that substrate you're using? That looks great. It's just 
100% topsoil. So it it's really for folks that are trying to, I don't want to say penny pinch because it has a negative connotation to it, but folks are trying to be a little more frugal or not spend a bunch of money on essentially what is dirt. And I completely understand that because I did that for quite a while. It's fantastic because you can just buy bags and bags and bags of stuff, especially once you start setting up fossorial species and you have to fill these big containers with dirt. It costs you two bucks as opposed to maybe four or five with other stuff. Or if you buy the premium stuff, you're talking 20 or 30. That's, you know, a huge price difference. Cons, consistency is a big issue. Obviously, it's topsoil. They're pulling it from wherever they pull it from. Sometimes you get some really nice dirt. Sometimes you get stuff that's filled with all kinds of, uh, you know, chewed up branches, leaves, rocks. I've had chewed up pieces of plastic in it. It always depends. Even if you're buying the same brand, I don't think they all come from the same exact area. So sometimes you get a really good bag and like, this is really nice dirt. Sometimes you get a bag full of trash that's like you're picking stuff out of it and you're worried about what's in it. The other thing you need to be very concerned with is additives. You do not want any of the stuff with miracle Grow or any types of fertilizer in it. None of that. Stay 100% away from that. That's stuff that could be poisonous to your animals. I can tell you, well, I'll get into my story in a minute about the stuff I bought that probably had herbicide in it, did not go well, as you can probably imagine. That's a big issue. So you want to be careful you buy it. And the good thing is the cheapest stuff is the stuff that's just straight up topsoil. If you go out and buy, see stuff that's costing four or five dollars a bag, that's probably stuff they've added things to. If you go out and see the stuff for a dollar seventy-five, it's stuff that they just went out and bagged up dirt. So that's something you want to always be careful about. Also, when you go out and buy organic, it'll have organic on it. You think, oh, this has got to be safe. No additives. They can add animal dung to organic. You do not want chicken poo in your substrate. That's just going to invite pests in there that you don't want there. I personally would not use anything that has any type of animal waste added to it. You don't want poo in your substrate. I mean, I think it's common sense, especially in terms of bacteria and stuff of that nature. You don't want to introduce anything in there that could be harmful to your animal. And bacteria from feces could definitely cause an issue. So a couple things to think about. Now, does that really limit down which ones you want to buy? Yes. The ones I've used before are the regular Scots. I know there's a couple brands of Scots out there, but the regular Scots topsoil, the only issue I've had with it is I've never had anything that even looked remotely like they had additives. It looks like straight up crappy dirt most of the time, but that is one of the brands that you're going to get some inconsistency with as far as large chunks of objects in it. You know, sometimes you get them and it's, you know, filled with rocks and little branches and stuff of that nature. Now, for the most part, you can either pull those out if you want, or you can leave them in there. It's it's totally fine, but that can be a little annoying. The other one I've used is Timberline, which again, consistency issues. Sometimes you get a really good bag. Sometimes you get a crappy bag. I always try to buy several, so at least I know I've got a few good bags in there. But those have all worked well for me. I've never had, knock on wood, never had an issue from Timberline or Scott's, and I've used them for years. So I'll throw that out there. Just know I've had some people come up and go, no, Scott's is bad. It's got additives. There are certain types, you know, you have the main Scott topsoil. There are certain other types of Scott soils that do have additives. You just got to make sure you get the cheap one that's just regular topsoil. Read the back, make sure there's no additives with it. Um, the other con, you know, that I found with topsoil is once it dries out, it is ridiculously difficult to moisten back up. I That was the big, when I first started using it, I used it for a bunch of fossorial species. I think I had my H. gigas in one and I let it dry out a bit. It was to the point where there's like three inches of moist substrate in the bottom. I'm like, well, let's moisten this up. I poured a bunch of water in and it just puddled on the top, turned the total mud. It was a disaster. I tried squirting it down the sides. That helped a little bit, but it just doesn't rehydrate. Once it dries completely out, it doesn't rehydrate very easily. That's what I found. That's 
something people don't talk about all the time. They're like, oh, just pour water in. It can be very difficult when dirt dries, especially topsoil. It's a mixture of all types. You know, you've got soil, you've got sand. Once that kind of dries out and becomes desiccated, it kind of shrinks in on itself. It, it closes off its porosity. And it can be very frustrating to try to re-moisturize it. And, and believe me, I've been there. It's one of the reasons I started mixing substrate because I can remember this whole first, I started using this stuff that was working great. I had some Pacelotherias on it. I had some burrowing species on it. And it started to dry out. I'm like, oh, here we go, add the water. And I'm like, oh, no, it was just mud. So that's an issue there. Now, as far as rolling the dice, you know, not knowing if you may have a tainted bag, that's always a concern. Now, I will tell you the story that I had with the tainted bag. It was one brand that I bought from a place that I had never bought from before. So this wasn't my regular bands. Basically, what happened was it was wintertime, right around, right around November, I think. I ran out of dirt. And I went to Home Depot and Lowe's and they had already, you know, seasonally they stopped selling their dirt at a certain time. And they basically throw it on pallets, shrink wrap it and, and put it out of the way so you can't get to it. So I'm like, crud, I can't get dirt here. So we went to Agway, which is a farm supply store, and they had topsoil and it said non-organic topsoil, no additives. Great. I picked up, I think, three bags of it. And unfortunately, one bag, I did find out the third bag that I opened up, which is started getting me thinking, had those little green fertilizer balls in it. And it, the whole thing was saturated. And when you took your hand, if you took a clump of this dirt and squeezed it, the water that ran out was green. It was completely contaminated with these balls. Now, the first one that I'd use, and this, the half of the second one that I'd use for my other tarantulas, I did not see these in it. But from what I've gathered, what I've seen that happens, my guess is that they had some type of herbicide in them. It's It, it could be herbicide, could have been insecticide, but reading what herbicide can do to spiders and it basically inhibits their molting process, that seemed to be what was happening. But it was a nightmare. It killed off a lot of animals. It did make me a little gun shy for a while using the topsoil, but I went back to my regular brands and been using them you know, in mixtures and I've had no problems. But that is always something that's a big lingering question mark because when they collect this topsoil when they harvest this topsoil they go out there they scrape it up they throw it in bags they say it's organic they don't know what's been sprayed there we don't know where they're taking it from it could be a construction site where they're over there spraying and you know herbicide or insecticide you never quite know so that's always something to have in the back of your head so truthfully i've used scots and timberline without incident for years had no issues i switched this one bag i had you know obviously it was it was a nightmare but normally it seems like a lot of people have used topsoil for many years and not have issues. So if you stick to some of those, the two that I just said, or do some research, find out what other people have used, go on arachna boards and search it there. That's where I got these two brands from originally. Do some research on it. You should be okay. But again, I don't, some people don't want to take the chance and I completely 100% understand especially after the nightmare i went through that winter where i broke up that all took it all it takes is one bad bag to really kind of drive that point home so topsoil peat cocoa fiber all used quite a bit in the hobby however what happens with a lot of this is we start realizing there's properties of each that we like and properties of each that we don't necessarily like or aren't convenient and that's where you start you know the mixtures a lot of people a very popular mixture is cocoa fiber and peat Peat, you know, has that dusty, dense feel to it. Cocoa fiber is more fluffy, more porous. You put the two together, you get a nice mixture that really, it will hold on to water pretty well, but it'll also absorb water pretty well. I've done peat, topsoil, and cocoa fiber before, mixed them together, which gives you 
a very versatile substrate that can be used as dry. It can be used moist. It looks good because you've got some of that, you know, some branches in it from the topsoil and some of the, you know, the bigger chunks. And then you've got the, it just, it's a really nice looking substrate. Usually when I do that, it's like 40, 40, 20, maybe 40 cocoa fiber, 40 peat, 40 topsoil. However, now that I'm like steering away from peat, I might do a little more of the topsoil in it. There are many things you can add to your substrates, whether if you're doing a mix or whether or not you're just adding to like you're using cocoa fiber or using peat or using topsoil. Actually, cocoa fiber, I wouldn't really worry about adding too much to because that absorbs water pretty well. And usually these additives are made to allow the soil to absorb water well or better or hold on to water. So not a big deal. But with the peat and topsoil or definitely the mixture, and that's what when I end this off, I'll explain what my newest mixture is. These additives can be quite handy in how much or how quickly the substrate can absorb water when you're trying to rehydrate them, which I think is why a lot of people start using them. But the first one is sand. You can use just regular playground sand. There's different types of sands out there, but a lot of people like to mix some sand into their substrate. I've found that the finer the sand, the better the attributes. I got some white sand before that was much more granular than some of the other stuff I've used. And I added it in and basically what happened is it, it eventually kind of all just settled to the bottom. It didn't mix really well with the substrate. So I mixed it up great, put it in there. And then by the time I got the spider in and everything, the sand, a lot of the sand had kind of settled. It seemed like the finer stuff kind of got mixed in there more. And what it does is allow, again, it's uh, people use it to allow the moisture to penetrate easy, more easily. I've spoken to several folks that use topsoil as their main you know, ingredient for substrate, and they say they use the sand to kind of allow, again, that water to percolate down through. So sand is always a good one for an additive. Another good natural additive would be sphagnum moss. What I like to do is I get the New Zealand sphagnum moss. I get a big bale of it, and I shred it. I use scissors and just cut it up. I had some people say they actually throw it in a blender. I don't want to use Billy's blender like that because I'll probably get yelled at, but I just take it, take a pair of scissors, I put it over a table, and I just snip it all up so it's in little pieces, and I mix that in with the substrate. And what that does is you get those little pockets of that are great for holding moisture. It allows, again, when you go to pour the water back in, those little spots suck it right in there like a sponge and keep the soil moisturized. So sphagnum moss can be a really good additive. Another one that I use quite a bit is vermiculite. Great additive as far as, you know, that's one where if you're using topsoil or peat, adding a good quantity of vermiculite to it really increases its ability to absorb moisture. Sometimes what I will do is put a layer of vermiculite on the very bottom of the enclosure. If I'm doing, say, one for a fossorial species, a moisture-dependent fossorial species, I'll put like a half an inch to an inch of vermiculite on the bottom and moisten that up really well. And then I stack the other substrate on top of it. And what happens is when I pour the water down the sides, when I go to re-moisturize the substrate, it goes down and it hits that vermiculite. And instead of just pooling on the sides, that vermiculite sucks it right up. So you get that bottom layer always stays nice and moist. Nice little trick. It's worked well for me for years. Now, there is a, I won't say a myth because once upon a time it was actually true, but it's not true anymore. A lot of folks are afraid of using vermiculite because it causes cancer. Now, what happened when I did some research on this back in the 90s, vermiculite used to be what people used for substrate for all tarantulas. If you picked up a tarantula care guide or book, it would say, take the tarantula and put it on a couple inches of vermiculite. The nice thing about that is if it's a moisture dependent species, it's very easy to keep it moist, but people obviously started steering toward more naturalistic types of substrate. But there was a period where you couldn't find vermiculite. And apparently what happened was the vermiculite mine was very close to an asbestos mine 
and you're getting cross-contamination, so you're getting vermiculite that actually had asbestos in it. Supposedly, that has been remedied. That is no longer the case. They brought vermiculite back. I mean, there was a whole period. I remember I was looking for some new tarantulas, and I wanted to change out. The queen was, back in the day, the queen was on vermiculite, 100% vermiculite. This was back in the late 90s or so, and you couldn't find vermiculite anywhere. They had pulled it from all the shelves. So now it's back. It's supposedly safer. I've used it for years without incident, so don't worry about that cancer-causing thing. It's it, I do not believe believe that's an issue anymore. If somebody's got data that proves that otherwise, feel free to you know share it with us. But after doing some research, that seems to be the story. And that's why it was off the shelves for a while, but it is now back. So I love vermiculite as far as mixing it. You can add it to when you add whatever quantity you need. You don't want to go overboard. It's not like a 50-50 thing. But if I'm using, say, topsoil, I'm probably using 25% vermiculite. Mixing up really well. So it allows, again, it, the, it absorbs water so well, allows the water to percolate down through. In my mixtures, if I'm not, I, I tend to, I'm using a lot more sphagnum moss now, but I've done mixtures where I've done the peat cocoa fiber topsoil, and then thrown a couple cups of vermiculite in there, mix it all up. Again, it's it's just a wonderful, very versatile additive that really makes those enclosures, when you're having problems with that mudding on the top, it really does help to alleviate that issue as far as substrate's concerned. And you can get these, like I get this huge, big, bag of it. It's like a garbage bag size bale of it for about 30 bucks and it lasts me forever. Like I've I've got the last bag I bought I think two and a half, three years ago and I still have it. Still have some of my garage. So another wonderful additive to add into the substrate to give you the properties you need and play with it. Experiment with it. Part of the fun of doing this is people ask me like exactly what my proportions are. I don't even know anymore. I kind of do. It's kind of like when you get good at cooking a recipe and you don't have to measure the stuff out. Like I watch Billy cook and she knows her stuff. So she's sitting there throwing dashes of stuff in. I'd never be able to do it because I, you know, screw it up. But she has that feel for it. It's kind of the same thing with substrate. If you start playing with it and mixing and doing mixes, you find a mix that works for you. You'll mix some and go, yeah, this works pretty good. You, the good news is you're generally, if you're mixing substrates, there's never going to be a point where you go, this is unusable, unless you really do something weird. You're never going to get to a point where it's like, I just created something that I can't use. I have to throw it out. What you will do is you'll create something. You'll go to add water, go, mm, I really wish you would absorb the water a little better. Or you know what? It's drying out way too quickly. And then you just go back to the drawing board and you mix it up again. You try it a little different. If it's, you know, did you add too much vermiculite? Did you add too much cocoa fiber? What is, you know, did you add a bunch of sand and it clumped in the bottom? Whatever it is, you can play with it. And that's kind of the fun of it. And I almost did it like you would cook where I would write down my quote unquote recipes for substrate. So the next time I did it, I could go, all right, this, I wasn't quite okay with how this worked out. So let me tweak this ingredient up. So the only other thing I can think of at the moment that you would add to substrate that I have started adding and I like, I like it a lot is charcoal. You can buy the horticultural charcoal. It can be a little pricey. I got mine off Amazon. It was a little pricey, but you can apparently find it in like greenhouses and places that sell supplies for gardening and whatnot. And it's a little bit cheaper, but you can get it all crushed up and it's a good natural. I mean, think about use charcoal as far as for fish tanks for weeding out the impurities, filtering out impurities, and it has that same type of effect in your substrate. It's a good additive to help kind of purify. When you pour that water down through, it kind of goes through and gets filtered with that charcoal, helps cut down on any odors. Not that you should have any odors in your tarantula substrate, but it's just a nice purifying additive. And I do add some like, I don't go overboard with it, but I do add like a cup, a cup or so to my substrate mix, you know, crush it down real good, put it in there, mix it all up. And I found that it works really well. Now, as far as my current mixture, my current mixture until I run out of the peat has been a combination 
of eh, about 40% peat, 40% cocoa fiber, maybe 10% topsoil. I mix that in there and then I add some shredded sphagnum moss or vermiculite, depends. A lot, I've been using a lot more sphagnum moss lately because I just like the appearance of it. And then I will sometimes add a couple cups of sand, mix it up all really well. I like that mixture. It looks nice. It's got the properties I need. It performs well. But I will be looking for a substitute for the peat moving ahead. I will, again, once I run out of this bag, I'm not buying any more. So I will be keeping an eye out for that. But I do use that for a lot of things. It works very well for me. I haven't had any issues with it. But again, that's just my recipe. You don't have to go emulate exactly what I do. I love when people, I get ideas from other people. So I'll post something up. Somebody will ask me what I put in for substrate or I'll explain my mix and people come on with their own mixes. I go, Hmm, let me try that out. The fun of it is if you get into substrate mixing, the fun of it is the experimentation, the, I'm going to mix this up, get a really good idea, put it in the enclosure, see how it performs. And then look at my notes, decide if I need to make changes and then change it next time and try something a little bit different. That's the fun of it. And like I said, you never have a wasted batch because unless you're really adding something weird. I did, I think I mentioned before, I had somebody that told me they added salt to their substrate, which kind of blew my mind a bit because, you know, salt can obviously dry out a spider. I wouldn't necessarily want my spider all, you know, moist and, you know, freshly molted laying on something that had salt in it. Obviously, there's some things that might naturally have some salt in it, but that's not something I would add. So I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't go too out of the box as far as things to add to your substrate. But Pick those things, pick something else. If anybody, oh, and while we're here, if anybody does have a good replacement for peat, I would love to hear it. I would definitely, we're still experiment in experiment mode here. I definitely want to replace that with some other type of ingredient. Please let me know. But things that, you know, now that we've covered stuff that you can use, things that I don't find acceptable or most in the hobby don't find acceptable, I know some people do it. And it's not, I can't label it wrong, but there was a period where people were putting all of their spiders on straight sand. A lot of folks would go out there and buy the really fancy looking aquarium sand that would have different bright colors. So you take your, I don't know, your bee baby and you stick it on some orange sand and go, whoa, look at that. It's sand's not, I, obviously some of them come from areas where there is some sand, but there's not a lot of spiders living on like say beach sand. That's not really accurate. Obviously, if you have desert species, there is some sand there, but a lot of them come from places that are on the fringes of the deserts where there is more dirt that they can burrow in. I, I just, it's not the best substrate in the world for tarantulas. If you mix it with some, I've seen people do mixtures where they're a little sand heavy, but it's got some, you know, I've seen mixtures with peat and with topsoil. So there's sand in there and it's got that sandy nest to it, but I don't know if I would go completely full sand. That's something that, is it wrong? No, I'm not going to say it's wrong. Can the spiders live on it? Absolutely. But for those of us that have been in the hobby for you know since the 90s and remember there was a whole period where people were doing that and guess what the majority of us gravitated away from it the other thing we used to do in the 90s was straight vermiculite i know there's at least one person out there a youtuber that still uses it again, is it wrong? I just don't think it's the best way to set up a tarantula, but I do get when people are breeding moisture dependent species that I, I think it comes more out of the ease of being able to keep them in terrestrial enclosures so that when you breed them, you can easily see the breeding process. You can see the spider lays the sack. You don't have to dig it out. It's just, they use them in very Spartan enclosures. And there was a period, again, back in the 90s where that's all anybody used. And it didn't matter what species you were keeping. So if you were keeping, I don't know, a, a cobalt blue, a, a C. libidus, 
you would put it on two inches of vermiculite. And guess what? You would have a really angry spider because they can't burrow in it. There's not enough. Not only is there not enough depth in the container to allow it to burrow, but vermiculite isn't a burrowing substrate. So Again, a lot of us, as we got better at keeping tarantulas, recognized, no, we need a boreal species. We have a boreal species. We have fossorial species. Even our terrestrial species sometimes appreciate enough depth to dig in, and we moved away from using just straight vermiculite for our tarantulas. So again, I'm never going to sit there and go, this is flat out wrong. I just think there are better things to use. I do, to a point, understand some of the people that use it, why they do it, especially the breeders. I get the theory behind it, but again, there's only a handful of spiders. The queen was kept on it for years. She did well, but she's it was a G. Porteri, and she had a couple inches. She had a little coconut, half coconut hide that she never used, and she just sat there. She webbed up over the vermiculite, and she was fine. And I kept it dry, so there was no issues there, but not something I would personally use exclusively for a tarantula substrate. The other things that I would not use are things made for reptiles or snakes. I get so many people that send me pictures of their poor spiders sitting on top of like reptobark or aspen bedding. No, we don't use that stuff. Some of the stuff can be supposedly hazardous because depending on where the mulch type stuff comes from, if it comes from pine trees or cedars or something of that nature, supposedly the oil, the oils and cedar especially are a natural deterrent for insects. They can be harmful. The texture and the actual, you know, them being able to walk on it is kind of, I've seen people have sent me videos of their spiders trying to walk on like reptobark or aspen bedding. It's just not an appropriate substrate for them. So that stuff, I wouldn't even experiment with that. I've had people, oh, what's the worst can happen? Just people have done it, trust me, and it doesn't work out well. And the final one I would mention that not use are any type of gravel. I've sadly seen, and it's usually people that just went out and bought their first tarantula from Petco and went out and said, hey, this will look really pretty on some multicolored gravel. And I'd seen it pop up a couple times recently, and I was like, oh, God, we're not doing that. And I get the theory behind it. They're like, oh, the spider will look so cool on it. We don't use gravel. There was, again, a stage where people were putting spiders out there, especially if you went to shows. It kind of sucked because people would, a lot of them would try to make the spiders look really particularly attractive, and they'd put them on some gravel. And I think what would happen is people would see that, and maybe it was only done for the show just to kind of make them pop off of the background. But they'd go home and go, well, the guy had it on gravel. I'm going to put mine on gravel. We want to avoid any type of, especially the aquarium gravel. That seems to be the, the main one people go to. Not an appropriate substrate. We don't want to play with that. It's been done. And that's the thing. I will have people come on and argue with me and go, well, what do you mean it's bad? How do you know, you know, uh, maybe somebody hasn't given it a good try. We have, we've given, we've done the sand thing. We've done the vermiculite thing. We've done the, the reptobark thing. We've done the gravel thing. It's been done before and people moved away from it. And we've decided that's not a good way to keep our tarantulas. That's not a good substrate for them. So those would be the things I try to avoid. The rest, it's, I can't think of anything. This is the stuff I've used. Again, right now I'm using the BioDude, and that seems to be, if you, if you analyze the BioDude, I got a funny feeling it's peat. I got a funny feeling it's cocoa fiber. I got a funny feeling there's a positive. It's charcoal, and it's got the sphagnum moss ground up in it. So very similar, to like basically what I've been mixing up. So if you don't want to go that expensive, you can definitely buy those components and try to mix, mix it yourself. And I would encourage anybody that's at that point in the hobby where they're starting to play with the substrate or realize that what they've been using isn't working for them. Definitely experiment. It's fun. Get it. Go out, buy a bunch of dirt, buy a bunch of sphagnum moss, some vermiculite, some sand, and not the calcium sand. Let me make that very clear. Not the calcium sand, just the regular, you know, playground sand or desert sand or something of that nature 
and then play with it and see what you come up with and, and feel free to post what your ingredients are so other folks can do. I think ideally what I'd love to see for this is, again, this is what I do. The rest of you chime in with what you do. So again, it's not just me going, hey, everybody copy me. No, I'm just showing you what's worked for me. And obviously I've made many changes since starting with the hobby on Vermiculite in the 90s, then bumping up, starting to use, you know, cocoa fiber to topsoil, to peat, to mixtures, to biodude. I've done it all and I've found success using all of these things together. But if you do something differently or have a particular type of recipe that you enjoy and want to share, please feel free to share it so other people can try it out because it may be better than what I'm using. It is a good possibility it is because I'm still playing around with it. So that should do it for this one. Again, I know it's something I've covered before, but I do think it bears repeating. And as new information comes out, who knows where we'll be 10 years from now, as far as there might be something new out that we're like, where was this before? We should have been using this all along. I think as tarantula husbandry and care continues to evolve and we continue to keep more, you know, different types of species with different requirements, there'll be more experimentation in this area and hopefully more cool recipes and more cool alternatives to what we can keep our tarantulas on. So that's it for this one. As always, you can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube. I just posted up a video on my Bee Amelia. Where I got some cool things coming up in the summer. I, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of just these small rehousing videos. Part of it's because time is like really, this is my busy time of the year. We're almost there though, about two weeks. I'm done with school and I'm gonna be hitting with some cool stuff, I think. But the longer videos, the more involved videos take a long time to edit out and I just haven't had the time to sit down. So I've been doing a lot of these and I've been noticing... I'm sure people are probably like, oh my God, another one of these. So I, I do, I promise I've got some cool, fun stuff planned. I'm going to bust some stuff out that's a little bit out of my comfort zone to kind of, you know, have a little fun. Obviously, always informative, but fun ways to kind of attract people to the the channel and maybe to the podcast, to the website, whatever. So we got some cool stuff coming I can't wait to talk about. Maybe next week we'll talk a little bit about it. Um, but keep an eye in there if you like, you know like to see the video versions of things. And sometimes with the podcast, the podcast, I can go into more depth, but the videos, you actually get to see the animals and see what I'm actually doing, which can help. So they kind of, I like to think the two make a very nice pair, but that will do it for this one. We're done. I got to go over to my old house and do some more cleaning and hopefully we can get rid of this thing soon because I'm sick of doing it. It's taking up all my time. That's taking up a lot of time as well. So guys, stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.